Think about an awful, tragic car accident uh, that happens on the freeway when as the accident's aftermath uh, sort of is sort of unfolding, there's two different types of authority that show up at the scene. Um, what are they? Like, who shows up? Yeah, the police and then the paramedics, right? Like, th- these are two, the two groups that show up. Um, and they show up because the drunk driver has two different kinds of problems. Um, the police show up because the driver has legal problems. He's broken laws, and he is guilty of serious crimes. And then the paramedics show up because this, uh, this driver also has medical problems, right? His own arm and leg are broken. He's unconscious. He's got internal bleeding. Medically, he needs to be put back together. And so when he stands on trial, accused in a courtroom, he's actually in a wheelchair. Um, and so this illustrates what sin does to us in our own lives, Okay, sin creates spiritual, legal, and medical problems. So in a spiritual realm, we have legal and we have medical problems. Sin leaves us spiritually guilty and broken. Okay, not just guilty, but broken. We're guilty before God because of things that we've done, things that we've said, even things that we've wanted uh, make us guilty. And we're also broken because we've done these things. We're broken because we've said these things. We are broken because we want things that we shouldn't want. Um, The reality is that we don't live the way God designed us to live. And so because of that, we have brought into the world, we've brought selfishness, we've brought anger, we've brought bitterness, all kinds of things. We've added to the brokenness and what's wrong with the world. And again, this letter Right, this letter that we call the book of Romans, it describes how Jesus came to address these two problems that we all have. Okay, so it's not that you have, it's that we all have. All right, in Romans 1 through 4, we could title this, this is you forgiven. Okay, Romans 1 through 4 is you forgiven. In chapters 1 to 4 of this letter, Jesus solves our legal problems by forgiving us and then setting us free from guilt. And so in this, God the judge removes our guilt and he replaces it with forgiveness and then loving acceptance into his family. And this is amazing, right? This is truly amazing grace that God would do this. Now, and if this was all that the gospel did, right? If this was the sum total of the blessings that came to us from the gospel, right? This would be amazing grace, Um, forgiveness, acceptance, adoption, they are infinitely more than we deserve, right? Infinitely more than we deserve. But God's grace is even more amazing than that, right? Jesus not only deals with our legal problems, but he also deals with our medical problems. And that's what Romans 5 through 8 is about. So if you're going to outline right, these sections. Romans 1 through 4 is you knew, I'm sorry, is you forgiven. Romans 5 through 8 is you knew. And so Jesus also brings about healing and rehabilitation. So when you commit to Jesus, when he is your God, everything changes about you. There's this injection of power that comes from God. The, the presence of God comes upon you and becomes a reality in your life. And this changes us and makes us new from the inside out. And this is what Paul is explaining in Romans chapter 6. 
that God changes us by overcoming the power of sin in our lives so that it doesn't control us anymore. And so he starts by, by, by um, in verse 2, I just want to read part of this verse for us as we start. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Okay, now, there's some logic here in verse 2, even if you don't understand what it means. Okay, think about it in terms of a relationship. Right, if you break up with someone, then your relationship dies. And if that relationship is dead, you can't still live in that relationship anymore. Okay? I mean, that makes sense. Um, but then, how do we die to sin? Right? It says, we, how can we who died to sin still live in it? It's like, all right, well, wait, wait, how does that happen? Right? How does that work itself out? Well, let's keep reading. Verses 3 to 5 tell us. It says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so the point that Paul's making here is that our relationship with sin definitively broke at our baptism. Okay? That's what verses 3 and 4 say. Look at it again. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. And so what Paul is saying here, he's saying that in terms of your relationship to sin, baptism is your funeral. Okay, baptism is your funeral. And, and I like this because um, in verse 3, um, he says, do you not know? And I can tell you that in my reading of Paul's writings, he says, he actually uses this phrase, do you not know? Like 13 or 14 times in the different letters that he writes this in. And just about every time, my answer is, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> like, man, I, I had no idea. Like, okay, I guess I was supposed to know, but clearly I don't, you know? Um, and so what that means, the good news here is that that means that Paul's teaching us something new here. There's something new that he wants us to understand. Um, and so he's asking, do you not know? But he's also teaching us. And so we're going to get something new here. And what he's saying here in this verse is that baptism is your funeral. So we need to make a bit of a qualification here because um, baptism then was how they would have expressed their faith in Jesus and their commitment to Jesus, okay? Which is different from today, okay? Today, it's a little bit different because today, if you ask somebody, hey, when did your relationship with sin change? Or when did you commit to Jesus? Or how, like, at what point, or how did you become a Christian, right? If you were to ask that question today, most people would not say, oh, it happened when I was baptized, Right? There's a lot of, some people fear that, wait, wait, if you say, oh, it happened when I was baptized, then all of a sudden baptism has this sort of magical property of a ceremony that 
could get misunderstood because what about people who get baptized and then they don't live at all like a Christian, you know, or people that get baptized and never understand it, you know, that kind of thing. And so, um, so most people today, if you ask them a question around the, in the realm of how did you become a Christian or, you know, when did your relationship with sin change, they would say something like, look, I came to understand the gospel um, in whatever way somebody shared it with me. Um, and then as I understood this news about what Jesus did, I realized that this was God expressing his love for me. I realized that Jesus had done something for me. And so then I responded. I put my faith in Jesus. Like I know in my own personal story, like I had been living my life with a convenient faith in God, which meant I said I believed in God when it was convenient for me. And when I agreed with what God wanted for me to do, then I obeyed God joyfully because <laughs> he was agreeing with me. Um, and, uh, and I came to a place in my life where I was confronted with the reality that I didn't have a real relationship where he was God and I wasn't. And um, in the process of someone sharing what it meant to have a real relationship with God, I realized like, oh, I don't have one of those I don't have a relationship where I'm actually following Jesus. I pretty much just sort of do my own thing. And when God agrees with me, then I call out that God agrees with me. And so, um, and so I, had, I came to a point in my own life where I, was, where I realized, okay, this is what I'm doing in my life, but this is what Jesus is calling me to do and to be in terms of a relationship with him where he's in charge and he is God. And I had to, I, I wrestled with that. I was like, well, which of these directions do I want my life to go in? And at that time in my life, things on my own were not going well. Like I was not doing a very good job running my life. And so for me, I thought, well, gosh, I'm making a mess of things. If Jesus offers me sort of a new start, fresh hope, some direction, I'm in. And so I committed my life to Jesus. And I remember that night feeling like, Jesus, I'm not sure exactly what it looks like to be committed to you. I'm not exactly sure what it looks like to have a relationship with you, but I'm in. If you lead me, I will follow. And, and that is how most people become Christians when they become Christians as adults. And it's, it's their moment of commitment. It's their prayer, their personal prayer of dedication. Right? Some people say they call it asking Jesus into your heart where you're basically just praying and asking Jesus to be your God. You're, you're confessing your sins. You're saying, look, I've, I've lived apart from you and now I want to come back, right? This, is, this tends to be what people would say in terms of when they become Christians, okay? Now, it's a little bit different in the Bible, okay? And I just want to draw this out because of how important it is to make sure that we can both read the Bible, but then also understand how it applies um, to us. When the Bible was written, they did it differently, um, back then, the prayer of dedication, that act of commitment, would have been baptism. Okay, and this shows up in Acts chapter 2 when one of the apostles, Peter, gets up and preaches a message about Jesus. The people who listen to him think, oh my goodness, we've gotten this all wrong. We're in deep trouble. We want God. And so they say, Peter, what should we do? And what does Peter tell him? He says, Repent, which means turn the direction of your life to follow Jesus and be baptized. And that day, 3,000 people got baptized. Um, and so when the Bible was written, instead of saying, well, hey, if you want to become a Christian, you just pray this prayer of dedication, they would say, hey, just come and be baptized. And so that's why 
um, when you see verses like this in the New Testament, it makes it very, I mean, it seems very clear that baptism is the time when your relationship with sin changes. So I don't want this to be confusing, but the point here is that what's more important than your baptism is your faith. Okay, it's your faith in Jesus, whether or not you've been baptized, that matters most. That's, that's what God is looking for. God is looking to see if you have faith. That's what counts. And so today, oftentimes for people, baptism is a ceremony where you are publicly declaring your allegiance to Jesus. Like you might have committed in your heart and made a commitment with a friend or in a life group, uh, but then baptism is the time when you actually are, in a sense, standing up and saying, hey, everybody, this, I, this is my commitment. Here's where I'm standing. I'm standing with Jesus. And you're joining the family of people who understand both the ups and the downs, the pains and the joys of following Jesus and being a Christian. And so baptism then, in some ways, is a confirmation of our commitment to God, that baptism ceremony. But baptism is also, as this passage teaches, it's also God confirming his commitment to us. Okay, baptism also gives us assurance that God is, in fact, working in you to make you new. Okay, that's what these verses are teaching. Baptism isn't just about something that you're doing. It's also about what God is doing in your life to make you new. And so these verses teach that in baptism, we are united to Jesus' death, right? We are identifying with the man who died, okay? That's what it says in verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We're buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. <clears throat> and so we are identifying with Jesus, and when we do that, um, we see that baptism is your funeral. And so there's two things about this funeral ceremony that baptism is um, that we want to talk about today. The first thing is that this is a reality. Okay? This is a reality. Um, and so if baptism is our funeral service, it means that that person that was married to sin is dead. Okay. What Paul has said throughout this, this letter up until this point is that sin has entered into the world and it's now reigning. Sin is king. Okay. And so the question you want to ask yourself, and this is sort of what Paul begins to tease out when you think about these images, is that if sin is reigning, how much control does a king have over someone who's dead? Right? That's what Paul is saying when he says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And so sin reigned as king and is reigning over the world, but now we are dead. Right? Sin as king actually commands, makes declarations, um, says this is how the world is. Like that's what it means to reign, passes laws, um, affects reality, but now we are dead. And so for us, um, and in our culture today, death and funerals, they can bring sorrow and sadness, right? Because of people that we've lost, because people that we miss. Um, they remind us that 
life isn't going to last forever, that some things are more important than others. Um, death and funerals can sometimes remind us of things that we wish we would have said. Um, funerals and death also can bring anxiety to us as people fear their own death, as they think about with uncertainty um, how they'll die or when they'll die or what will happen if they die um, to the people that, they're le- that are left behind. And so there's sorrow and sadness and anxiety that characterize so much of funerals. But this is a death. Like This is a funeral that brings us honest joy. Like Paul is not saying this in a way that would cause us to slow down and get depressed. He's saying this because he wants to move us to rejoice. Because what Paul is saying here is that when we die in this way, sin's power over us ends. Like it's the end of sin's ability to control us. And so this is a funeral that when we understand what it means, we can rejoice over it. This is a reality that happens to us when we believe in Jesus. So if you have put your faith in Jesus, if you are following Jesus, this is a reality that is true for you. And so this is one of those ways where the gospel takes the thing that we fear the most and it makes it, makes it become the place of victory. Like baptism means we die to sin. Death becomes a victory and a celebration, right? Because this is how we are changed and transformed. And this happens because of Jesus, okay? Because Jesus is the Christ. He's the Christ. And so... Um, you may not know this. Do you not know what the Christ means? Do you not know what the word Christ means? <clears throat> you may not. A lot of people think, oh, Christ is Jesus' last name, right? If you look up Jesus in the phone book or in your contacts, right? You go to the C's. Oh, there he is, Christ Jesus. Here we go. No, 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 that's, that's not what that is. The word Christ is actually, um, it's, it's a title. It's a title. It means the anointed one. And in the New Testament, it means God's anointed king, Okay, and so, and uh, it's in the New Testament and the Old Testament, it also refers to the Messiah, right? The Messiah was going to be the savior of the world. And one of the things that the Bible teaches us about the Messiah is that the Messiah will be the representative of his people. What does that mean? Well, that means that the Messiah, what, what the Messiah does counts for those who follow him. So there's this cool story in the Old Testament with David and Goliath where the army of Israel and the army of the Philistines are like standing and they want to kill each other, but neither one of them really, they're like, well, let's see, we could kill each other for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. Um, Or I know, wait, wait, I have a better idea. Look, we'll send out our strongest man and you send out your strongest man. They'll do battle. And whoever wins that battle, if your guy wins, we'll become your slaves. If our guy wins, you become our slaves. And so these two champions of the armies became like Christ's, they became representatives of the entire nation. Um, And so they did battle. David slew Goliath and Israel dominated the Philistines. Israel as a nation was victorious because of one person's actions. The whole nation of Israel got the benefits of the victory of David uh, because he was their representative. And that's what the Christ means. It means that when Jesus died, we died with him. 
It means that when Jesus was raised, we are raised with him. And so Jesus is the Christ. This is why our funeral service, um, why our baptism can be a funeral service for us. Because we haven't died to sin in our lives, but Jesus died to sin when he died on the cross. And so when we embrace Jesus, wherever Jesus goes, we go with him. And if Jesus died, we go down into death with him. If Jesus rises, we rise up from the grave with him. And so this image of dying and baptism being a symbol of death with the funeral, it's a spiritual metaphor. Paul is saying something happens to us when we become Christians that changes the way that we are on the inside. Something happens to us in our minds. We think differently than we did before we committed to Jesus. We feel differently than we felt before we became Christians. We speak differently Right? We do things that are different. Some things we stop doing because they're not good for us and they're not honoring to God. Other things we start doing because <clears throat> they show God's love to other people. They, they show God that we care about him more than anything else. Right? And so there's this dynamic that happens where we change and Paul's trying to describe that for us. And he's saying it happens because we're identified with Jesus and what happened to him happened to us. And so... Um, so what in effect God is doing here is that when we believe in Jesus, God plunges us into the waters of baptism to wash us clean and we are forgiven. Okay, we've seen that in the early parts of the book of Romans, but God does more. The other thing that God does, what Paul's describing here is that God actually drives a wedge in between us and our sin. God puts a wedge in between you and your sin. And actually, it's, it's not even a wedge. He actually puts himself in between you and your sin. He puts Jesus, right? Jesus comes and gets in between us and our sins. So he doesn't just cover over our sins. He doesn't just forgive us, but he actually gets into our hearts and into our minds, and he gets in between us and the sins that we've committed. And so that's what it means that we died. Like our relationship with sin is broken. Now, if you believe, if you believe in Jesus, you've probably experienced this. Um, have you ever had the sense that God cares about me? Have you ever had the sense that God loves me? Have you ever had the sense of like being in a, a, a difficult situation and yet you have the sense, wait, God is with me and so I think I'm going to be okay. Right? Have you ever had a sense of like, like I'm kind of shocked and I really don't quite understand why, but I have a confidence that God cares about me enough to love me and to forgive my sins. Like that is God getting in between you and your sin. Um, have you ever had an experience where um, you went from, oh gosh, do I have to do this? To thinking, wait a sec, after what God's done for me, how could I not do this? Have you ever like wanted to love and care about someone else because like, dang, after what Jesus did for me, how could I not do this for them? 
That's what it means to be dead to sin. That's what it means that Jesus has has driven a wedge between you and your sin. Um, I have a friend who had a phrase that he, his family used. And, and the first time he used it, I thought it was like the coolest thing. And I, I, after I got him to explain it, he said, yeah, when we go out, we want everybody's eyes to be full. Like, what are you talking about? And he was Arabic. So like, I thought there might've been a loss in translation kind of thing. And so I was like, well, what, do you, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? And he goes, well, like, especially with our kids, he's like, we want them to feel so loved at home that when we, we wouldn't approve of. It's like, oh man, that'll preach, <laughs> you know? Um, and so like the idea is that you're so cared for, so understood, so loved that you're, you're like, your love tank is so full that there's no room when you go out for anyone else to compete with that. There's no ability for sin to get in there and to like find a foothold. There's no gap, there's no vacuum, there's no void, right? That sin could be like, hey, I'll give you what you really want. Um, and I think that's what this, that's what the gospel is doing when the gospel changes us from the inside out, when Jesus begins to heal us and rehab us spiritually, what he's doing is he's filling us with his love. And this is a love that you've experienced. If you're trusting him, if you have a relationship with him, if you understand his promises and live by them, you've had these moments where his love has filled you. And so your eyes are full. Your heart is full. And the power of our baptism is that it preaches to us that we have this new relationship to sin. Right? That God has put himself between us and our sin. We have broken up with sin. And we don't go back. And this is the reality that these verses are describing. Um, And so... Baptism as your funeral is a reality, but then just the second thing is that it's also a decision. So this is a reality. Second, it's a decision. Point number two. There we go. Sleeping in the back. Um, Because like every relationship that you have in your life, you might have a true friendship. You might in reality be friends with someone. You might in reality be married to someone. You might in reality have a parent or, um, like, or child relationship with someone. Re- Reality-wise, there may be a real relationship there, but you may not always feel it, right? You may not always feel that sense of love from that friend or from your spouse. Um, the reality of this demonstrates how much Jesus is reaching out to us to embrace us. The decision comes where we have to walk in this reality. Okay? When the Bible gives us these pictures, this is a definitive thing that God does when we believe in Jesus, when we're baptized. Our baptism preaches to us that our relationship with sin has been broken radically. If you're not experiencing that, that could be a sign that you need to make decisions in your life to walk in this reality. So if you died to sin, 
there's a call from the gospel for you to believe and to live as though you are dead to sin. And it's kind of amazing, actually, when you think about it, that we have the power to do this, that we have the power to say something to sin that will remind us and re-strengthen our brokenness and detachment from sin. Um, there are lots of people in our country, there are lots of people in our church who would love to renounce the power that our president has over them and over our country. Okay? Um, there are lots of people in our country and in our church who would feel the same way if Hillary Clinton had been elected president. Um, and so, you know, politically, on both sides of the aisle, there's good, there's bad. Um, the two figures that were running were both, they seemed to be more particularly people that weren't just wrong, but they were bad people. And so, um, how amazing would it be for, if we had the power to renounce their authority over us, to say, we're not going to be affected by their decisions or their desires or what they do. Be pretty amazing, right? We can't do that. We can't do that over our national leaders. We can't do that over our state leaders. We can't do that over our city leaders, right? And yet, the authority that creates the most damage in our lives is the authority of sin. And this passage is teaching us that we can say, we can renounce the power of sin over us. And when we do that, we have the love of Jesus that floods our hearts. And so we are dead to sin, but this means that we have to be dead to sin. And that includes us making decisions. Um, because even though we are, we are dead, even though we've broken up with sin, um, sin wants us back. Right? I have a friend who, um, he, he was complaining to me once. He's like, yeah, my... Um, my meth supplier won't stop contacting me. I'm like, well, have you, can't you like block them on your phone? You know, like, can't you, isn't it cool that like you can block them on your, and he's like, oh, and he ended up blocking him on his phone. And guess what? <laughs> Huge amount of temptation just went away. Amazing, right? Um, he became dead to his dealer. Right? If only, right? If only we could, like, let's see, lust and porn <laughs> blocked. Sweet, right? Defensiveness and anger when I'm called to the table. Could I block that? I mean, how amazing would it be? Um, Passive aggressive manipulation. Could I possibly block that from my phone? Right? I mean, sin tempts us back into its arms, right? And, and the frustrating thing is that sin's not the only one that's, that's reaching out, right? Sometimes there are things that we miss. There are pleasures that we miss. There are feelings of control that we miss, which lead us back, which lead us to move back in that direction. Um, and so, 
you have to ask, I want you to ask yourself today, what is the sin that reigns over you now? Like, what are the areas where you struggle? Some of it might be on the surface, like stuff that everybody can see, that they experience from you. Um, Some of it might be deeper in your heart, fears, anxieties, desires to be approved. Um, These are things that express the reign of sin over us. And what this passage is teaching us is that when Jesus died, he didn't just die so that those sins would be forgiven. He died so that those sins would no longer have power over us. We're going to talk more about this. Um, But, I mean, the reality is that when sin comes to you, whether it comes from outside or whether it comes from here or it comes from here, you're dead. I mean, if it helps you, like, literally lay down on the floor. When temptation comes, right? Picture it like knocking at the door wanting to take you out, like wanting to go out and have a good time. I can't answer the door. I'm dead. (laughs) Seriously, like I'm dead. When sin comes, I am dead. That's what these verses teach. And I'll tell you what, if you feel temptation and you lay down like this, if you do this, like literally, I know this is silly, but like, Sometimes these things are helpful. At least they are for me. I've done this before. Um, I do this in my heart a lot. I remind myself, wait, wait. Oh, this is sin wanting me to participate with it. It wants to take me out on a date. I am dead. When I think about that, that wedge between me and sin comes back. I'm like, oh, wait, hold on. Not only am I dead to this sin, but Jesus is in between us. And I love Jesus more then I love this sin. And so we're going to spend more time diving in because Paul goes on and gets more explicit and more specific on how to walk in this. But this is the call for this week. Preach to yourself that you are dead. When sin comes, remember that, I mean, you're in a casket. You have been memorialized in your baptism. Remember that your faith in Jesus means that things are different now, that you actually have the ability because of Jesus' love to declare that you are dead to sin. If you begin to do that this week, um, you will find communion. You'll feel closer to him. If you struggle to do this, get into a life group. You know, this, is, this can be complicated. Sometimes it takes talking it out loud with other people. And so if you can do this on your own, great. Don't, don't try to do it on your own, though. Join a life group. Like Mark and Sandy, for decades, have been having conversations um, and helping people both understand the reality and then helping them to make the decisions that go along with that reality. Um, this is available to us. We just need to walk in it in a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Um, We thank you for forgiveness, that our sins are forgiven. And yet even more than that, you have broken sin's power in our lives.
And so we worship you, we thank you, and we pray that you would help us to walk in this. Draw near to us this week and help us to help each other to do this. Um, I pray that all of us would find ourselves flat on our back this week declaring that we are dead to sin because we love you more. Um, Draw near to us. And for those who are here and, and they don't know you, Jesus, would you reach out to them and show them what's possible, that they could be free from evil and from self-destructive patterns and patterns that hurt others. Draw near to us all, we pray in your name. Amen.